through the book of Ephesians. And it is a, um, an amazing picture of the church. And that's essentially what the book is all about. It, the first three chapters open up with Paul giving this incredible treatise on what God has done for us through Christ. And now, as we enter into chapter 4, we are going to get into what Paul is calling the people of God to do in response to the glories, the riches that God has given us through Jesus. And so there's a lot of things he calls us to do. um, But he also gifts us in the very task that he has for us. Let's read about this beautiful gifting from the Lord and about the call to the church. We're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 4. There it is. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that they also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is all about love, unity, hope. But I will say this. During my time watching the NCAA tournament... Go Hoos! Wow. Wow. <laughs> I've seen a lot of commercials also. I don't know if y'all have. We have Sling TV. And that's how we watch TBS and TNT, which is what most of the games are on. 
But they replay the same ads over and over, and it gets really frustrating. Um, I've seen the AT&T ads about the, it's just okay, it's not okay. You guys got this one. But all of us, even if you haven't watched a lot of commercials during the NCAA tournament, you have seen a plethora of them over the course of your life. America stands on the power of advertising, do we not? And the reason for that, I blame World War II. So in other words, you could basically just blame Hitler for all of our problems. (laughs) World War II is when we decided it was time for us to build a lot of tanks and planes and other large metal objects to attack the, the other people across the ocean. And when the war ended, which thank you, Jesus, that it ended, we had a lot of surplus. And that surplus needed to get into people's hands. And money needed to be exchanged for us to get that surplus. And so it became very common after World War II for every house to have a refrigerator. Y'all, that was a big deal. Not every house had a refrigerator before that. Or it was a big deal for every house to have a dishwasher. Not every house had a dishwasher before that, or a toaster oven, or whatever appliance you can name. And so advertising was the way to push all of these products into our lives so that we would give our hard-earned cash to the companies that made them. Yay, America. Okay. Here's the problem. Through this process, we became something known as, and you are familiar with this term, consumers. That's the term they use for us now. We're consumers. And we consume a lot of stuff. And we've been convinced that we have basically an endless supply of needs that we need to consume products to fill those needs. Things like freedom, happiness, love. All these things, products and advertising, have promised us they can fulfill through our purchase. Right? And and now it's gotten even easier. If we have a need, and I have lots of needs, y'all, as you well know. You can pull out your phone now and be like, on a whim, like, I feel like I need something to help me in the kitchen that's kind of spatula shaped but might be more like a pan. Let me see what Amazon has. Boom! And then it's like, there it is. Didn't even know it existed, but it's on Amazon. And then I just push the click buy button, and guess what? It shows up in my front door. It is amazing. The problem, though... I'm getting to a point here. (laughs) Is that we have fallen in love with these companies. We've fallen in love with this system. And we then, by default, I am one of them too, we take that and we pick it up and we place it upon this organization called the church. And essentially churches, because they want to keep their organization and institution going, have embraced this idea that we need to offer services and products for people that they can come in and consume, and that way we will be a company they love just like AT&T, Verizon, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it has worked really well. Often... The largest churches in any given town are those that have ministries that can meet every need that you could possibly think of. 
something for the kids, for the youth, for the, you know, for the people who are, have the hobby of riding bikes, for the people who have... And there's these just plethora of products. The inventory is spread out before everyone, and there's ooing and aahing, and oh, the church is just amazing. I cannot believe how the church now can meet all of these needs of mine. Unfortunately, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 especially, is going to push really, really hard against that concept. I'm just going to go ahead and get it out in front of us as we get started this morning. It's going to challenge all of us, myself certainly included, in this type of concept that the church is here to meet your needs. In fact, according to Paul, who wrote this book, the opposite is true. You (laughs) are here to give your gifts to the church to meet the needs of the other people around you and of those even outside the doors of the church. It is like, whoop. Okay. So what's the point? What's the point of Paul calling the church to be a group of people who serve really well? Who instead of coming into the church to have all of their needs met, the opposite should be the case. And they are then as an individual meeting the needs of the people around them and of the world around them. Paul says, here's why this is so important. We talked about it last week when we were finishing up chapter 3. Paul, remember, he was on his knees and he had that super powerful prayer. And he was like, please, Lord, work in the hearts of your people this incredible understanding of the love of God, that they would be so drawn towards Jesus, that they would be so filled with the height, depth, width of the love of Jesus, that they couldn't help but just spill that love of Jesus onto the people around them. And Paul says, that's exactly what I'm calling you to, church. But the only way, according to Paul, to Scripture, to God, that we can properly reflect the love of Jesus Christ is if we are unified in our service. That's what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3. And and to give you an outline, you've got it if you'd like to take notes. We primarily reflect the love of Jesus in keeping our unity. He says that right there in verse... Oh, thanks, man. Um, Verse 3. So all of it's kind of build up. All verse 1 and 2 is build up to, to, to verse 3. It says, I want you to be eager to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that's point one. Secondly, we're going to look at the fact that um, Paul is calling us, God is calling us to be unified in the use of our gifts. Or another way to put it, to, to be unified in the diversity of our gifts. And he's going to talk about how we get gifts and how we give gifts. So we're going to cover that in point two today. Um, and it's, I, I called it, what did I call it in the bulletin? Use the diversity. Use the diversity that we have been given our gifts. And then finally, our final point is that Paul says the point of the church is to equip people for ministry. And you find that down, well, it's on the other page. Equip people for ministry. So that's our three points for today. Maintain the unity is what we're going to start with. Paul, in this passage, has an assumption behind what he's calling the church to do. He is assuming that we understand that the church is the body. That's his primary analogy he's going to be using throughout the book of Ephesians. And think about a body for a minute. You just have to use your brain for just a second. 
There's all these different parts, right? You have your fingers, you have your head, your ears, your nose. You know, you may not love every part equally, but we all have many of them. And each of them works together as a whole body. And it says Jesus Christ is the head of that body. And all of our actions that we're going to do and all of the giftings that we're given is so that we can reflect to the world around us and to one another, Jesus. That's it. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the idea of the body also is that we are knitted together. We are not patched together. We are, knit, we are so close. You don't wake up in the morning and think, I wonder if my hand is going to be there. Do you? I hope not. <laughs> or I wonder if my foot will be around. Or, you know, if my ears have fallen off in the evening. No. They are knitted together. They are bonded together so closely that you don't even have to think about it. The body is just together. And the reason this is important is I want to mention one thing. This is why churches have membership. I know it's kind of a dirty thing in America. Again, modern American culture, because churches are more like companies and they're more like corporations. Why would you, why would you need a membership to go into Walmart? You know, it's like, whatever, I'm coming to buy your stuff. So church, a lot of churches have done away with membership. But, and, and they've decided that, it, you know, we're just not going to worry about that. But we, we still stick with it. And I hope a lot of churches still stick with it. Because it's, it's, it's this idea um, of making vows before God and before one another. So that you can be unified in your commitment. It's why we do marriage. The reason that we do marriage is because... Only after this incredible commitment has been made, vows before God and before other people, can we really, truly begin to open up to one another. I mean, in the depth of our soul, every nasty, little, dirty part of us is going to get let out. We know that in a marriage, the same goes for a church. Paul is saying, I need you, church, to understand you are so knitted together with one another that membership's important because it's uniting you with one another and it's saying we're committed. We're committed to opening up to one another. It's really tough. I admit it. I am not for one second going to sell this as something easy. But Paul's point, our point this morning, is this. It is absolutely vital for the unity of the church. And he is deeply concerned about the unity of the church. Because we just are not going to be able to express to the world around us what Jesus is like unless we're unified in our love. We've got to do it. Okay, another thing about, uh, just to mention this, this body concept and the fact that we're super knitted together is the fact that the, how we get together in the first place is totally up to God. That's what he means when he says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. His point in saying all these things is that you were brought together by God himself. You did not individually create the unity of the church. It's not something a human being does. How much did you participate in your own birth? Anybody? 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 Not a lot. You cried, perhaps. His point in getting that across is the new birth in Christ is the same way. 
God is the one bringing us together. Our call is not to create unity in the church. Our call by Paul in this passage is to maintain the unity, to keep the unity. God is the one who gives it to us in the first place. Now our job, our role is to keep it and to maintain it with one another, according to Paul, uh, according to God in this passage. Okay, so membership's important. That's kind of the application from that, that first little piece. But I want to mention one other thing. This is also saying, so you have, you have sort of the consumer model of church over here, um, and, and, and Paul is pushing against that really hard. But you also have, um, over the centuries, the church also um, can look like a social club where people are just getting together because it's nice to be around other people, or you just happen to be an extrovert, and it's just kind of fun to say hi to other people on a Sunday morning. And Paul is also pushing against that concept. Think for just a minute about a country club. A country club has really steep join fees, at least the ones that I've ever been a part of or looked at. And the reason the really steep join fees are there is not just because they really badly need the money. It's because it's basically like, we don't want any poor people here. <laughs> the whole idea is <laughs> there is a barrier to entry. That's how social clubs work, right? It's the same thing if a social club is built upon some particular hobby, right? I've always been intimidated to join one of these like meetup or group me's or something like that and go to like a mountain biking club or a chess club or because I'm always like, I know the barrier of entry is going to be high. There's going to be expectation that I know what these people are talking about, that I know how to like change the gears on my mountain bike or that I know how to like do a checkmate when I'm playing chess or whatever. It's always that way with a social club. Always. Paul is saying, church, you can't ever be like that. He's saying, I want you to fight. I want you to fight. I want you to fight against being like that. I want there to be zero barriers to entry. I want somebody who can walk in off the street. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they're wearing. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to immediately feel a part of things. They don't understand what the Bible teaches. They haven't opened the Bible in a long time. I want them to feel a part of things. This is not a social club. This is where people get to see Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so he's like, work hard. Okay, how? Well, he tells us, thankfully. Here's, here's the words. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. It's just so simple. And yet so insanely difficult. Humility. Thinking of other people as better than yourself. I know that's hard for me. Gentleness. Bearing with one another. They don't look like me. They don't smell like me. They don't talk like me. I can't really understand their accent. Oh, they've never opened their Bible before. Welcome them in. Humility. Gentleness. Bearing with one another in love. And y'all, guess who's going to get glorified from all that? Jesus. Because people are going to see Jesus. Because that's exactly how Jesus receives us. He says, come to me. Oh, you are weary. The only thing you have to bring me, says Jesus, is your nothingness, is your emptiness. And I am here to fill you. And when somebody walks into a church and there's low barriers of entry, they're like, wait a minute. Maybe this Jesus thing is true. And that's what Paul's saying, church. He's like, you, can, you absolutely can reflect 
your Savior, Jesus Christ, by the way that you are unified and the way you keep barriers of entry low in your church. So that's our first task. Our first task as the church, according to Paul, is to maintain the unity. As God fuels us up through prayer last week, with the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, we can do this more and more. This is not something you can just buck up and be more gentle and humble and loving to the people around you. you got to have Jesus in there bubbling up and spilling over. And so that's what Paul prayed for as we came into this passage. And then next, okay, so maintain the unity, keep the unity. Next, use the diversity. Use the diversity of your giftings. We just saw Doug. I mean, I mean, I was touched by that. I don't know about y'all. Just hearing God's creative beauty come through a musical instrument just draws me closer to God because it's all from him and for him and to him. So that's just one tiny little example of a gift that's being used. But God is saying, look, the world is broken. Sin entered in early on in the garden and people are broken. But Jesus has come to heal and his vehicle to bring his healing to this world is the church. And, okay, let's read it real quick. It's, it's, it's not easy to understand first blush, so I get it. It says, therefore, it says, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? That if he had descended to the lower regions of the earth... He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Can you flip it? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Okay. If you're honest, like me, when I first read the passage, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Jesus ascended, descended. There's gifts somewhere in there. And there's, you know, and there's stuff happening. This, again, is an example we would understand better if we were in a society that still had barbarians and kings. Okay. Basically, a king, when he would come in and he would get victory, he would take the spoils from the people that he had just conquered and he would pile them on his truck. I'm sure he had multiple trucks. And then he would drive back to the kingdom that he was actually the king of and they would have men in the back of the trucks and women in the back of the trucks and they would just throw these gifts all over the place, and you would stand out there on the road and be like, oh, yeah, I got gifts from this other nation that we just captured, you know, I got a gold bar. <laughs> I, I guarantee they got gold bars. <laughs> Feel me? We have been given gifts by Jesus. Jesus got the victory on the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the forces of evil. And he's got spoils to bring us. Talked about it in the early parts of Ephesians. There are riches that are being spread to us. And every single one of us has it. Now, we don't have time today to get into the specifics. That's for next week. This is a multiple-part series because, y'all, there's so much going on in the first part of chapter 4. We can't cover it all today. So hang tight. We're going to get to specific giftings next week, like helps and administration and all these, all, all these other things, service and hospitality and all these beautiful things. But for today, just know that these gifts have been spread to you by Jesus so that you can bless both the people within the church and the people outside the church. Because Jesus is in the business of healing. There's a brokenness that occurred in the garden between man and God. Right? The relationship was severed. 
And there are gifts of preaching and teaching where the gospel is preached in such a way that God uses that gift to bring people under the healing of Jesus Christ because of those giftings. Think of other things. I listed a few here on my sheet. There's also a brokenness that um, is not just the severing of our relationship with God, but our severing of our relationship with ourselves. I know y'all have all felt the same thing. I felt there's a division. Paul talked about it even in Romans. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do do is the things I don't want to do. And I, I, you know, wretched man am I. But he was experiencing that division that we all feel between who we, who we are, were raised to be and, and who God is calling us to be. And, and we need the gifts of admonition, the gifts of mercy, these things that come under counseling to help bring our divided selves whole so that we can find healing through Jesus Christ. And Jesus has given us these gifts. You may have even used some of them. You may have experienced someone else using them for you and to you and through you. And it is gorgeous as we get healed. Other, another division that was caused by the brokenness of the, of the sin in the world around us is just people to people, right? We, we're just divided. We just get mad at each other and don't like each other and start hating one another. And then God has given us, again, all these giftings. Hospitality is a great example of just inviting a neighbor who probably feels divided from you in some way, come up for dinner into my household. That's a gift. There's healing that takes place in our community, in our city, in our world, when that kind of thing happens because God has gifted us for that type of healing. And then finally, there's a brokenness also, a rift that was created through sin and through, um, through the brokenness of our world. Um, between, honestly, we're at war with animals and the earth and weeds and rocks. <laughs> and God has given gifts to heal that. You may have heard of some of them. Um, the ones that out, it's service. How about service? How about administration? Building things. Just building a house is pushing against the brokenness of our world. Or how about cleaning weeds out of someone's yard? Pushing against the brokenness of our world to bring the healing of Jesus Christ to those around us. Here's a good, I think, good working definition for gifts. A spiritual gift is the ability you have to bring someone more under the lordship and kingship of Christ so there's a restoration in that person's life. This is why this king talk, this ascended, descended train of gifts that he's giving out from conquering death and sin. I'll read it one more time. A spiritual gift is the ability you have to bring somebody more under the lordship and kingship of Christ so there's a restoration in that person's life. Wow. How amazing that the church gets this task given to us by God. And let's end with equipped for ministry. And then next week, we just don't have time to get to it. Next week, we're going to get to um, this whole attain to the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, measure of the stature, no longer children. We're going to get to all that good stuff next week. But for this week, we're going to end with equipment for ministry, equipping for ministry. And here's how Paul says it. He says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body. Again, here you see that analogy again, the body of Christ. We are basically the hands and the feet and the reflection of Jesus Christ on this earth. Okay, but, but, but if you're like me, you come to this and you're like, okay, what 
are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers? Let's talk about it. Apostles. The apostles were those that were the eyewitnesses of Jesus. They directly saw him, especially the risen Lord on this earth. And they were utterly unique. They are not to be repeated throughout history. And because they were true eyewitnesses of Jesus and experienced the risen Lord, they were given the task of writing down the very words of God, the the New Testament that we have in front of us. And it's really important for us to understand this. And here's what I mean it's important for us to understand this. The apostles are still at work in this world and in our lives. How? Through the word of God. You are still benefiting from their interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ because of what has been written down by them and their accounts that was given through them. And it still feeds us on a regular basis. It still encourages us. It still equips us for works of service. Then you've got the prophets and the evangelists. Sometimes these were one in the same office. Um, it was often at that time in the, in the New Testament era, it was people who were going around traveling to the different churches, sharing some amazing insight they had gotten in application of the words of the apostles. They were never ever in the scriptures. The prophets were never considered uh, as on the same level as the apostles or that their words were the words of God. Uh, in fact, Paul encourages people to test the prophets to make sure they were getting the word from the Holy Spirit. And so you need to make sure to test them. They're still around today. What do I mean by that? One of the ways that we still see the work of the prophets and the evangelists today, have you ever heard Billy Graham before? You ever been to a Billy Graham rally? Remember when they had those back in the day? The idea is God equips certain people for these tasks. Have you read a great Christian book recently? Have you read C.S. Lewis before? Have you ever heard Rosaria Butterfield teach there's, this, there's these people that God equips for this ministry. Don't be afraid to read great Christian authors. Don't be afraid to read great theology books. Recommend them to your friends. Listen to podcasts of other great preachers and evangelists of our time. Absolutely. They're way better than me. <laughs> and I, don't, I say, I, I, I'm not trying to be falsely humble. It's just true. God has equipped them for a specific task to really press in, once again, the word of God into your heart. But Paul doesn't end there. He says, also there are shepherds and teachers. That's the role that I fill, and that's the role, if we have elders in our church, that they will also fill. The role of... Now, in the Greek, there's no and. And this is really important. It's actually just shepherd-teacher. It's one word. You're a shepherd-teacher. So the role that I have as a shepherd is to get to know the people in the congregation, get to know y'all, and be able to, uh, you know... Look and pray for you, speak into your life, tell you what the Word of God says. No, just know what's going on in your life. And then to teach. That's what I'm doing right now. It's one of the main roles for the, for the shepherd teacher. And we need this. We need the like constant um, refreshment of the Word of God in our hearts. Because if you were just getting it by yourself in your, in your bedroom, reading the Word of God, that's good. That's what the apostles gave you. And then you listen to a podcast from some great preacher over in, you know, Canada or what? (laughs) In Canada or Australia or whatever it is. And you're like, that's really good teaching from that teacher. And I'm really blessed by that. And the word of God is pressing into my heart. You still ultimately, according to God, 
need someone in your life who knows you, who knows what's going on, who can say, you sure about that? <laughs> who can say when you're thinking about, you know, driving across the country to take a new job and pulling, uprooting your family, you know, the, the pastor might come to you and say, I don't know. Have you prayed about this? Let's think about uh, how this might play out or some particular sin in our life. We need that type of personal care. And guess what? God has provided it for us. Make use of it. Make use of all of those things. For what reason? This is how we're going to conclude today. So that we, well, okay, y'all can be equipped for works of service. Or another way to put it in the scriptures, equipped for ministry. This is really hard for the church to get. Throughout history, the church has created these terrible hierarchies. And yes, I said it. They're terrible. I am not meant to be the minister of, primary minister of this church. I have this role of of shepherd teacher. That's my role. That's what God's called me to. Your role is to be ministers. You may have heard it before, you know, the priesthood of all believers. You know, it's, it's, it's also in 1 Peter. You, the people of the church, are the ones who do ministry, who serve, who use your gifts. The apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the shepherd teachers, they equip you for doing it. Hence, and this is, the, this is, I've come full circle for our sermon from what I opened up with. The church cannot be a consumer company. If you have a hundred staff at your church and it's like, okay, the staff does everything. And there's a myriad of different ministries for me to plug myself into at a particular church. It is not operating in the way that God wants it to operate. God wants everybody in the church to be doing a work of service, using their particular gifts. And so I'll, uh, next week we'll get into this, but I want you to even today start thinking about what is your gift. Not so that I can be like, Ooh, let me make a list and I'm just going gonna, gonna to use you so we can make this church better. No. Your gifts are going to be given, given away to, sure, some people in this church, but lots of people outside of this church. You're going to be using your gifts in all kinds of arenas. And God has specifically, specifically made you to bless certain people. There are people you are going to begin to heal their life. And there is no one else on this earth that could do it the same way. Wow. So again, the job of the church, we're going to talk about next week in the sermon, is to equip you to do that. What are, you, what are you awesome at? What do you know that the wind of, of God is in your sails about? That you need to get out there and do? I hope this church, I hope the leadership in this church can just absolutely blow the Holy Spirit into those sails so that you can go and you can do works of ministry. Let's pray. Lord, this is your church. You're telling us how to do it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the love to follow. You're showing us how you want your church to be. And Lord, as we learned last week, we need so desperately a massive infusion of the love of Jesus. I pray that you would do that today in all of our hearts. 
that we would just be enamored with the way that Jesus came for us, the way that Jesus conquered for us, the way that Jesus goes before us and behind us and within us and above us and below us. And I pray that you, Lord, would, got, would lead in that regard, that your love would be the power that fuels every single one of the use of our gifts. And Lord, thank you for teaching us how the church is meant to look. And I pray that you would help us at, here at Christ Central to be unified. Lord, that we would maintain the bond, that we would invest in each other, that we would commit to one another so that we can show the world what it looks like to be your disciple. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. Give us your love today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.